name is Rick. Sorry. Yeah, there you do. <laughs> um, I'm actually the bishop, um, and um, Adam very kindly asked me to come and uh, speak. I think, did you? Yeah, sure. You did, didn't you? We'll go with that. I thought that's what you did. Uh, it's lovely to be here. I don't know how your day has been. Mine began at 7.30 church this morning, followed by 9.30 church, followed by a lovely lunch, followed by sleep, followed by a journey down to a prayer meeting uh, in the town, which some of you may actually have attended. And uh, it was, uh, it's been a very happy and fruitful day, it seems to me, from a Christian perspective. You might like to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, although, I have to say, I want my sermons to be memorable, and I want you to be able to remember what I've spoken on. I want the passage of Scripture that we're speaking on to be written on your heart. And today, for one of the first times in my ministry life, I think I'm probably going to achieve that. Because I'm actually going to speak, in part, on the Lord's Prayer. Okay, and I'm assuming most of you probably already know that off by heart. Am I correct? And if you don't know it off by heart, our text is Matthew 6, verse 9, and the first two words. Okay, so here's your memory verse. Ready? Our Father. That's it. Do you can get that? Okay with that? What's our memory verse? Our Father. Very good, very good. Um, what might we say to the person struggling with praying? I'm a struggler with prayer, are you? I'm a struggler with most of the Christian life, to be honest with you. And I'm thankful that God is not a struggler when it comes to grace. And that he keeps pouring that out upon us. It was Augustine in his journal, prayer journal, called The Confessions, who wrote that living well depends on the reordering of our loves. Did that? Living well depends on the reordering of our loves. And I think when it comes to our praying, that statement is also true. Praying well requires of us the reordering of our loves. But as we come to prayer, it's very important to know that you are loved by the one you pray to. Don't you think? People have all sorts of things to say about their earthly fathers. Personally, I think my children are blessed with the father that they have. In fact, every one of you is worse off, it seems to me, without my children's father. My children's father is what makes them so spectacular and it's why their spouses were so attracted to them. Now, I hope you don't think I'm talking about me when I say that. Because all my children love the Lord Jesus and they have a heavenly Father that they adore. In Matthew 6, Jesus is asked to teach his disciples how to pray. And here are the opening two words of the prayer in verse 9. Our Father. And I hope your response to those opening two words are not Oh no, not another one. See, sadly some people in our community have rotten fathers. 
And sadly, in our community, there are people who are rotten fathers. They don't just have them. Some people are just rotten fathers. And I, I go to churches all over the place, and I'm not convinced that in the churches that I go to that both groups of people aren't there. Those who've had rotten fathers and those who really are rotten fathers. I hope you don't fit into either category. It's very important that we don't impose our views of earthly fathers onto what God's fatherhood is like. It's the other way around. We're meant to take the fatherhood of God and understand it and impose that onto earthly fathers. You see the direction there? <coughs> but because people have rotten fathers, as we come to this prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer, that begins our Father, I actually want us to pause before we get into the passage. And I want to pray with you for anyone who has had a rotten father that they might actually realise that God the Father is the Father that they've always needed and He will always be the Father that is best for you. Okay? And for those of you who are fathers, I want to pray for you that you'd be good dads consistent with the Father in heaven. Is that okay? For those of you who are mothers who might think you're missing out at that point, a good mother always works in partnership with a good father. And sometimes people have really rotten mothers as well. And so I'm going to pray for us all in that regard. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how sad it is that in this world, those who stand as fathers and who should exercise the model and example that is in you, don't. And how that has crushed family members, broken down sons and daughters, and built animosities within them. And that for some, the only memory or the only thought they have of a father is an ugly one. We want to pray tonight for all those who had bad fathers, that they might indeed come to have the perfect father in their life that is you. We want to pray for those of us who are parents, that we would actually receive the model and example of your fatherhood and that we would apply it to the way in which we live and act in our families such that we might represent you well and live and be a blessing to our children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the term Father is used of God 21 times in the Old Testament, 225 times in the New Testament, and 70 times on the lips of Jesus. And you say, so what? He did his own work. He read a commentary. So what? On this occasion in the Lord's Prayer, though, amidst all those times that the fatherhood of God is used, on this occasion, in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer, please don't miss this. You and I are invited into the family intimacy of God. 
Don't miss the magnificence of that. Here is the God of all the universes. The one who threw all the stars into space. The one who knits you together in your mother's womb. And he invites us to form a fight. He wants us to. He loves us to. He attends everything in my life and never misses an important occasion. And in fact, he attends even the most unimportant events in my life and he rejoices to be present. And Heavenly Father. He's even there when I fail, which is a little more one of those moments where you wish Dad wasn't around. Don't you reckon? Is that right? But he's there as well, and he's there when I'm under attack. And as this prayer will make clear, if you read the prayer of the Our Father in the context of the rest of the prayer, you'll realize that he's there to pick us up when we fail, and he longs to hear us say, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And in the midst of temptation and evil, he invites us to pray, Our Father, Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. What a father. He's not too busy to visit. He's not so preoccupied with his own concerns that he can't spend time with me. Rather, he desires to live with me as his constant companion. And as I visit this prayer, I've got to say I'm shocked to be confronted by the perfect fatherhood of God in contrast to my own. And maybe you are too. But perhaps more shocking to me is the realisation that I have one of the greatest privileges, if not the greatest privilege, in all the universe. Conversation with my Father in heaven. And yet, I'm so slow to take up the opportunity. Because I struggle with prayer. Prayer, a conversation with the Father, offered to one of his adopted children. That's sad, isn't it? Which, of course, means for all of us, it might be helpful for all of us to do a little reordering of our loves. That makes sense? This is a wonderfully shocking prayer. For the Old Testament person who loved God, God's fatherhood was revealed in a number of ways, and I want to draw some of those ways to your attention. I won't unpack this with all its fullness. I actually picked up another book yesterday just to kind of reflect on the fatherhood of God. I kind of wanted to kind of dig deeper into that. And uh, I won't be able to dig into all that that means for us tonight, but I do want to draw your attention to a few things. First, I want to draw your attention to the fact that he is the father who is our creator and from whom we have our being. In a context where people were forgetting the privileges of relationship with God in the Old Testament, Moses says this. He says, Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Now I'm going to tell you, that's a really powerful father, don't you think? A father who can create you and make you and form you. He's a very powerful father. He's in control of all things. There is nothing outside his control. There's nothing in your life that takes him by surprise. 
And Jesus teaches us that for that powerful God, we can approach him and say, our Father. And I bet you, uh, there are plenty of times in my life where I've been scared of things as a little child. We go to my Father and have him stand firm and strong. Give me a real sense of security. And I say, this prayer is full of security for us. In the light of this privilege, you've got to say, at the end of the day, when you think about how big this God is that we call our Father, when you think about how perfect He is and that He is the Master of everything, why wouldn't you go on in the Lord's Prayer and pray, Our Father, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why wouldn't you pray that? Well, secondly, you'll notice that He is a God who is a near God. I wanted to say that to you. Where insecurities and depressions still control people. Where the hospitals are still on duty caring for the sick. And tonight, even, as we gather, the cemetery staff are always, it seems, digging holes for their prospective clients. In that context, King David, the psalmist, who in similar circumstances to our own, absolutely nails the privilege of calling God our Father in the psalm, Psalm 68. He says, sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, his name is the Lord, and rejoice before him, a father to the fathers. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, he leads forth the prisoner with singing. But the rebellious, they live in a sun-scorched land. Our father, is not some distant deity out there who a long time ago created the world and wound up the rubber bands like those, you remember those aeroplanes you used to get? You'd wind up the rubber bands and then you'd fly the aeroplane and the aeroplane would crash once the rubber bands had stopped turning. Remember them? God is not like that. He doesn't sit with his legs dangling over the edge of eternity looking down on what he created somehow completely distant and completely unattached or disinterested in the world that he made, but actively involved in it. So much so that Jesus expects that he will answer our prayer when we ask our Father, give us today our daily prayer. And Jesus teaches us to pray here, our Father, what a privilege. But what kind of father is he to a failing son at Wuddua? When the love of this child grows cold for their father, when our father is neglected for other personal pursuits, what kind of father is he then? You've been coming to church, I guess, for a long time. I don't know all of you. You may be a visitor for the first time tonight. You might be someone who's just come in wanting to go, what is this God thing all about? Well, make sure you listen to this. But the rest of the people in this congregation, you come regularly, if you've missed this, then you've not been listening. What kind of God 
is this father to the failing and the disrespectful. Well, when we come to our senses and we find the humility to pray, forgive us our sins. The psalmist tells us that this is what the Father was like in Psalm 103. He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And to every prodigal son and daughter, he is the privilege. Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You remember the prodigal son story, don't you? You remember him? He rehearsed his speech all the way home. Oh, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. You know, and, and he's rehearsing it all the way home, isn't he? Well, we could rehearse this, couldn't we? In fact, we do Sunday by Sunday in Anglican churches. We rehearse it all the time. In fact, even this afternoon in the prayer meeting for the drought, one man got up and said, this is the greatest prayer, and he prayed it. And we rehearsed it together as we come to God, like prodigals wandering up the street. Oh, our Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Oh, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Like the prodigals we come. And what's God the Father do? Why well, he's leaning against eternity, waiting for you to trudge every step of your bad mistakes back to him, isn't he? Isn't that what he's doing? Hello? <laughs> Anyone out there? Is that what God does? What does he do in the prodigal son? He jumps off the veranda, doesn't he? When he sees him in the distance. The kid never gets to actually really recite his speech, although he does. But that comes after the father has reached him. Run through the street, almost embarrassing in front of people who think that he should make his son wander all the way home and feel every step of his bad mistakes. But no, the father rejoices that the child is coming home. Hallelujah, he's back. What a father. Our father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And his grace is like the hair trigger on a rifle. Not stiff and welded with the rust of disuse over years. Ready instantly, any moment, to offer you the forgiveness that we don't deserve. Notice too, as you think about our Father, that He's the guiding Father. You know, life daily presents its difficult options, doesn't it? The choices are many. Many of our choices are wrong, aren't they? When the competing voices of the age which we live in wage war against our souls, where do we turn? Who can 
can save me from the evil of my day with all its subtle temptations? Who can keep me from them? Who can protect me against the evil one? Who can cause my foot not to stumble and light the way by which I walk? Where do we turn in those circumstances? Well, when all avenues look hopeless and tears become the door to our prayers, we pray, Our Father, let us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil. And what do we find in the Old Testament? The believer would find the God of whom Jeremiah speaks. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father. And Ephraim is my firstborn son. And Jesus teaches us to pray our father. And why wouldn't you? And this Father will give you leadership and wisdom in life and deliver you from all that will take the food to destruction. Well, fifthly, our Father is the one, of course, to obey. You gotta obey your dad, don't you? When he's right. We're talking about a father here, he is our heavenly father, and he is perfectly right, and you would want to obey him. And in an economy of words, Jesus has introduced his disciples to God as our father, the father whose program is his kingdom come, whose provision is our daily bread, whose pardon is the forgiveness of our sins, and whose protection leads us not into temptation and keeps us from evil. And in the face of these things, it should be no surprise at the very beginning of the prayer when we know that this is what God's about, that the priority of our prayers should be to hallow the Father's name. There's the priority, to hallow His name. It's a prayer request for God not to hallow his own name, doesn't need to do that. God's name is hallowed all the time. It's crazy to think that we're asking God, oh God, do something that actually he can't not do. He's already doing it. He, he, that's him. It's a prayer for us that his name would be hallowed by us. It's a prayer request for God to be praised, a prayer for all the earth to hear his voice, a prayer most powerfully answered, can I say. Wonder how to hallow God's name? Here I think is the answer. Look for the answer within the prayer itself. I think that prayer is most powerfully answered when we call him Father and live as his children. Trusting in his provision, forgiven our sins, willingly led away from temptation, and thankfully delivered from evil. When we live like that, we will hallow his name. But you know what? Where does Jesus fit in all of this? Because I haven't really mentioned Jesus, have I? Well, I want to suggest to you, you can't hallow Jesus' name. You can't hallow the Father's name without Jesus. Hmm. 
you can't do it. In fact, if we were to go elsewhere in the Gospel, you have that great statement where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And everyone goes, yippee! But they don't read on. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You can't get to the Father, you can't hallow the Father, unless you come through Jesus. Of course, when you come to Matthew's Gospel, what do we read in the opening chapters? We read that this Jesus is born, don't we? And his name is to be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Thank you. You've got to do some work. I'm worked hard today, okay? I want you to do some work tonight. God with us. Alright? And when he comes, they give him the name Jesus because he will what? Save his people from their sins, won't he? It's a marvellous moment. You can't get there to hallow God's name except through this Jesus who comes and visits us. We get to chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel and then he teaches us to pray this prayer, doesn't he? But then we go beyond the prayer, we keep marching through Matthew's Gospel, and we come to the very end of the Gospel, and what do we find? But the exemplar of hallowing God's name. The most perfect exemplar of it. The one who will actually, in obedience and out of a desire to hallow God's name, will actually surrender his life to the cross in order to bring every prodigal back to the family. And I don't know if you've ever noticed the end of the Gospel and Jesus' prayer from the cross. Do you remember the last prayer he prayed? He doesn't pray our Father. It's the only time in Jesus' life where he does not refer to his Father as Father. The only time. And on the cross he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you want to know the answer? So that he could sign the adoption papers in his own blood such that you could call God Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Answer? So you and I could be adopted as the Father's children. What an extraordinary privilege it is tonight for us to pray our Father. Purchased by the blood of Christ. And you know when he goes away, he says, when I go away, I'll send a helper to you. You know that, don't you? The Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, and there are those times where we've struggled to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for us, won't he? But the Holy Spirit will also help us to pray. Remember the name? Abba. Father. What a great work Jesus has done for us. What a great journey he's begun for us. What a great privilege he's brought us in to the family of God. And for every depressed person in the world, and there's nowhere else to go, through Christ, you can still cry out, Alpha. 
And when we stand in the paddocks, dry farms, and burn out the soil, we can still grow our farm. And when we stand by the grave and bury our loved ones, we can still cry out our Father. Father who understands and Father who spared nothing, not even the grief of seeing his own son crucified by a sinful people to make us his children. What a God. What a God. It seems to me that my stodgy, struggling prayers need to remember how much God loves me. And when my delight is in him, Perhaps I will reorder my life's priorities such that I might spend more time with my heavenly God. What about you? What do you think? These days of reordering our priorities, reordering our loves, God first, everything after that. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to say tonight, I hope that as you go home, that you go home not browbeaten by a sermon. <coughs> the intention of this sermon is that you go home going, wow, as a Christian I am the most fortunate person in the world because I have come home with a father that no one can be better than. May God help.